It's just a privilege to be here. I just want to tell you a, a little bit about what's happening on Tuesday nights now. We are starting a, a weekly prayer meeting on Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Is anybody excited about that? Yeah. Amen. Amen. I was just thinking about it for a while. We haven't had one. Um, we're looking for space, and the, the school has given us, graciously given us the, the main room upstairs to pray. And I was just thinking about the situation that the nations are in at the moment and things that are going on in the world. And I just want to remind us that we have the answer and we are the answer for the world. We are the light of the world. And that God does nothing outside of prayer. He says to us, we've got to, for, to get an answer from him, we need to call unto him. And he says this in Jeremiah 33, 3. Uh, call unto me, and I will answer you. So it's a two-way relationship. We present our request to, to God, and then we st- spend time in his presence, and he answers us. And it says that he will show you us great and unsearchable things that we do not know. How many of you have great and unsearchable things that you want to know about? Amen? Any of you? Only me? There's many things, uh, the mysteries of God that he wants to reveal to us. And we know in 2 Chronicles 7, I did a series on this on prayer. Um, God uh, speaking to uh, his, his church, speaking to his people, he says this, that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and my ears will be attentive to their prayers and I will heal their land. And I just think in the, the, the situation we have in Canada and many other places, and this is the time for the church to shine. This is a time for us to come together and seek the face of God. And I was also thinking in the context of this, of a king Jehoshaphat in Second Chronicles was facing a mighty, mighty problem. There was a number of armies that had joined together to come and destroy Israel. And he hear, hears this report. And um, what does he do? He declares a fast. They begin to pray for the nation and seek God's face. And God gives them an answer. It's a crazy answer because the ways of God are higher than ours. Uh, he... he um, trusted God's word. I don't know if I would have at that stage. And God says, in front of the army, as you go out there to meet them, send the worshipers. And, and they, he sent them before the army. And as they were worshiping, God created an ambush between these various armies. And by the time they got there, these armies had killed each other. And um, I've often thought about that because in the context of this, and this is not in my preach, Um, But I thought it was important. In the context of this, when we hear bad reports, what is our first response? It's a good question. Jehoshaphat's wasn't to, hey, can I have all the generals here? Do we have enough chariots? Do we have people to defeat these people? And, uh, and, And all of those things. And when they said no, he said, oh, we better pray. No, he declared a fast first. 
and inquired of God. And I think in the situations that we get ourselves into, we can be so quick to run around and try and sort it out. Uh, And I believe God has got all of these answers. So I encourage you to come as we not only pray for us, we pray for the sick. We have people here in desperate need, many of them, that need a divine miracle from God. And so it's not... um, just something that we do. It's something that God requires from us. And if we want to see breakthrough in our nation and in our city uh, and in the nations of the world, it's going to come through the church. It says that the word of God, that it is through the church in Ephesians 3, through the church alone, that the manifold wisdom of God will be revealed to mankind. God has no Excuse me, God has no plan B. We are it. We are his plan for the redemption of man, the body of Christ under the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so I want to encourage you in, your, in our daily times to spend time with God. Get up early. I like to do that uh, anyway. I'm an early riser. And uh, it's such a beautiful time to be sitting there and just meditating, sometimes praying, just, and just meditating on God, reading his word. It's such an amazing time. Because Philippians uh, 4 tells us that we are not to be anxious about anything. And the way to deal with that is to bring everything before God with, uh, with petition and thanksgiving And then allow the peace of God to come upon you to guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And there's something about being in the presence of God when battles are raging in your mind and in your family and in your body and other all of these kind of things. And and to come before your dad in the morning. It's not because God is lonely or he needs us. It's because we need him. We need him. And he's chosen to one who need us. He doesn't need to, but he chose to love us and save us through his son. So relationship destroyed by sin could be restored in and through Jesus Christ. God is a lover. God is a a relational God. And Hebrews 4 says that we should come to the throne of grace. So we come to his throne through grace. And when we come to his throne by grace, in other words, through Jesus Christ, for it's by grace we have been saved through faith. When we come there, the word of God says there that we receive mercy. Instead of judgment, we deserve judgment, but we come there through the grace of God, and instead of being judged by God, we receive mercy from God. And then it says this, and then we find grace to help us in our time of need. And to me, it's like this. You come, you've had a a rough day, you've you've got fear, anxiety, or whatever it is you're going in, and you come just as you are, through grace, through Jesus Christ, right into the very throne room of God. And when you're in front of God, instead of God judging me, he lavishes his love, mercy, and grace upon us, And then as we go out of that time of devotion and time with him, we find more grace for the next day to help us in our time of need. And that's what it's all about. And so 
I uh, encourage you to make uh, time for God and make prayer uh, a priority, not for God's sake, but for yours and ours. Amen? Amen. Last week we shared um, uh, the story of Congo and Haiti. I've just been there. Jimmy's been in the Congo. We have some amazing things going on in there uh, in the life of the church. Um, if you go to our website um, you, you'll, and see last servants, there's a number of videos um, that are up there. We're going to um, compartmentalize those videos so they're easier to watch um, and a few, t- a few minutes at a time. But it was quite amazing to be there. And uh, I've just in Haiti managed to minister and preach there. The one day uh, I preached a very simple message on healing, very simple. And um, there was the, congr- the people there, it was in midweek, and there were approximately three, 400 people in there. And I asked them to come forward to pray. And uh, slowly but surely they got up and um, they lined up. They lined up on the wall that came around here. The line started get, getting bigger and bigger, went round the back, and people almost standing here to get round there. And as we got halfway through or so of that, it seemed that it would grow more and more. And we found out, because the church is right on the street, um, we looked out and people were joining the line from the street to come and get prayed for. It was absolutely amazing. It was extremely humbling. And um, so I've been thinking about that um, a bit. And I want to share a bit about that. I more than likely call the sermon the ramblings of a searching pastor because it really was very humbling to be there with these amazing people. And what impressed me the most, if I'd say that, is the childlike simplicity of their faith. They understand that it is not eloquence or wise and persuasive words that they need, but a demonstration of the Spirit's power. You see, they have no plan B. A little girl came up with her mom. Uh, When she came up, she was uh, almost carried in. This was on a Sunday morning. And um, looked. I thought, you know, she had some kind of mental issues. And she, uh, her mom went and sat on the side there. And um, during the worship, she came up to Marcel, the pastor there. Uh, he was uh, leading it at the time. And uh, she brought a kid, and it was like this. And uh, she told a story uh, that uh, was interpreted for us. And the, the bottom line is this. She had fallen off a wall or something and con- uh, had severe concussion. And that was about two days before, so she was all over the show. And before our very eyes, well, Marcel uh, prayed for her. She walked out there with no issues. Isn't God good? Isn't God good? You see, she had no doctor to go to. She had no, this, this beautiful woman. She was, you could see the, the fear and the compassion on her. And there's something about that. There's something about that that is so beautiful to be a part of. And often I feel I'm going to teach, we're going to go and teach them, but we normally learn way much more from them and their childlike faith. Jesus said, unless we become like a little child, we will never enter the kingdom. That's a serious statement. That's a big deal. Unless you do that. 
The disciples were chasing the kids away. Wasn't it so cool to have the kids here? I want to give parents permission to let their kids dance around this place and have fun. Uh, it's part of their place, and I'm going to encourage the worship team for us to do some um, kids' songs for them, like this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Hey, can I make the team? You see, Paul understood this when he got to Corinth. It's an amazing thing um, in Corinthians 2. It's an amazing story, this, because Paul was in Athens um, before he went to Corinth. And in Acts, you can read that, um, that account. Is it Acts 17, Mark, or 20, or something like that? <laughs> He's looking it up for me. But anyway, it's the famous, uh, where evangelists will say the, most, the, the best um, evangelistic sermon ever given on Mars Hill in Athens. And, um, and he, he looks at this unknown God. Now, once again, these aren't in my notes, so um, you might be here all day if I get to this. He's, he's in Athens, and he sees all of these idols, and they're worshiping all of these different things. And he says an altar to an unknown God. And he takes that and he shares the gospel all of after that and it's an amazing preach but the amazing thing about that if you read on in Athens although that was an amazing evangelistic preach and it's um, been studied and looked at over and over again and used um, uh, in evangelism but if you read that you'll find that a lot of people argued with him some people um, listened and walked away, and it says actually only a few people got saved there. One or two or three. It wasn't like a big deal. And so he gets out of there, and he's on his donkey or horse or whatever, his chariot, and, and on his way to Corinth now. God's called him to there. And on the way, I have this feeling that he was wondering what went wrong. In the other places, the power of God had moved in power, and people were saved, churches planted, things happened in days, and churches were birthed. Many of them, like in Ephesus and, and Philippi, how they were worshiping in jail, and, and God moved in power, and the jailer got saved and all of that. So I'm thinking, what did I do wrong? What did he do wrong? And um, this is my interpretation of that. But in that context, he writes this letter to the church in Corinth. And this is what he says. In uh, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1 to 4. Remember, just come using wise and persuasive words to get people saved. You see, the gospel is not intellectual, it's spiritual. And yes, we use words and we use the word of God. But we'll see in this, because this is what he did. He says, says to them, as writing them, when I came to you, this is 2 verse 1 to 4, I did not come with eloquence, eloquence or human wisdom. I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, as, still, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. So he still sp uh, told them about God. Sorry, I've just got to have a drink of water here. This is an amazing. 
For I resolved to know nothing. Not that he didn't know anything, but he said, I'm not going to rely on my eloquence and my preaching skills while I was with you, except Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. And I know what that's like sometimes to go in a place uh, that you've never preached, and uh, it can be pretty nerve-wracking for sure. It says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might rest on human, not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. There's a, a thirst for knowledge, an intellectual gospel out there that is powerless without the power of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit working in us through us, without the anointing of God, we, all this book is, without the Spirit of God the, um, breathed into this word, it's just a book to people. It's a history book. It's no different than any others. And we need more of the power of God, the anointing of God, and the presence of God in our midst. And that starts with us. There's a river in us, the river of God. And so when we come to, uh, full of the presence of God, it's like many streams, little trickles begin to flow as one river. And that's what God wants to do. And that's what God needs, we, God wants to see in the nations. A church full of the power of the Holy Spirit witnessing for him. For he said, don't even, he told the disciples, don't even leave Jerusalem, Acts 1. Don't even leave here, but wait here, for you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit that is in you now comes upon you and you will uh, to be a witness for me. And we see that power break out in Acts 2, about 120 people, I'm sure scared to death. Uh, they, they didn't know whether they were going to be persecuted and all of this. I'm sure they didn't really know what to do, but they were waiting and praying and all of a sudden the power comes. And Peter says, full of the Holy Spirit. The same Peter that stood up in front of almost the whole of Jerusalem that day, knowing that it could cost him his life, um, that same Peter, just 40 plus days before, had run away and denied Christ. That same Peter we said Peter the bold. Well, he was, but he also ran away and denied Christ. And this power comes upon him, and there's such an anointing and such a power, and he begins to get revelation from God, where he says, oh, this is what it means. In the last days, I will pull out my spirit on all flesh. And he preaches, I don't know whether it was good or uh, mediocre preach. I've heard better. I've heard some maybe worse. It was a powerful preach, but it wasn't as much the words which were Holy Spirit inspired. I agree with that. It was the anointing and the power of God that gripped the people's hearts and that 
open their mind to see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. For the God of this world has blinded both the hearts and the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. And the Holy Spirit comes in and breaks in on these, on these Jews, on these Gentiles, on all of the people there from all over the world to celebrate Pentecost. And 3,000 in one day are saved and the, uh, and the church is birthed in power. It was just like boom. And it began to spread. And now there's over a, a couple billion of people in the world serving God. And it started with that one preach, anointed preach by Jesus. Last week we looked at Isaiah 58. And for those of you who want to, I just want to share a bit of it to you. I've preached on it a few times. And I must say, I just say, when you, oh, we've heard that again. I'm the first one to say to God, God, we've heard this. How many times have I shared these kind of words? But I get the sense in God is that it's like needs to penetrate our hearts. Because it's not hearing the word that is important. It's doing the word. James says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And so these are the things that I feel that God is impressing on us and I believe we are doing, uh, at, uh, and, but there's more, I believe that. In Isaiah 58, you can read the context if you're going to read the whole thing, 79 God tells us what he requires. You see, God is not into, uh, God is not into um, a lifestyle that worships him that doesn't live it out. And that's how Isaiah 58 starts. He says, you're doing all of these things and so on. God is into authentic worship, a wor- worship that in word and deed presents him well. And so it says here in Isaiah 58, 7 to 9, and he tells him what he requires because God in the beginning of this gives him really a bit of a rebuke through, through Isaiah. He says, in fact, don't speak it, Isaiah. He starts, shout it out. Shout it out aloud. And he tells him all the things I'm doing. But God never leaves us there. Because of his mercy of grace, even under the old covenant, he always came with a solution. And he tells them what he requires. And he says this, Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, and to set the oppressed free, and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry, and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? And then you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. And he says, if you do these things, simple things, Jesus in Matthew 25 speaks of the sheep and the the goats. And it's interesting that it's very similar to what God requires here in the Old Testament. And he says, if you do this, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. To me, this is in, in, in Matthew 6, it says, 
uh, don't worry about what you need and all and, and so on, what to eat and drink and that, but seek first the kingdom of God and I will add all these things to you. Don't seek the things. Don't focus on the things. Don't let the enemy make your circumstance bigger than God. Like in God's eye, it's a nothing. But if I put a penny to my eye and I walked around it all day with my other eyes, I would believe that the sun had died. It would be absolutely dark. And that's what happens when we focus on these things. They are real things. But what God is saying in my interpretation is, Mike, if you look after my things, I will look after yours. Don't worry about them. Just do what I've called you to do. The church is paralyzed. And the enemy uses this thing of containment. And as soon as you want to step out for God, as soon as we want to uh, advance the kingdom, the enemy comes like a roaring lion, and he roars, and he wants us to get back in our box. He's not a lion. There's only one lion, and that's the lion of the tribe of of Judah, Jesus Christ. And that's what he does. And we go, and it's all peaceful again. Ah. You know, when I joined that church, all hell broke loose. <laughs> or when I stepped out, all hell broke Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 1 Peter says that we humble ourselves before God. We submit ourselves to him. And he says, then after we have suffered a little while, he will deliver us. Now, I don't know what a little while, a little while in God's eternal mind is. So I don't know, a little while for me is I've suffered five minutes, God, this is enough. Please, Lord. A whole week? Well, I want to tell you, in the context of, uh, of, of this, I was thinking about that, and then I thought, well, Peter and Paul thought Jesus was coming back in a little while. Told everybody, hey, he's coming now, he's coming now. And we'll say, well, they didn't know, he still doesn't know. Well, in the, and, and Jesus had said he's coming back soon, but in the context of an eternal God, what is a little while? 2,000 years is like a blink or less. So we don't know. We go through these things. But he also says in Isaiah that when we walk through the fires, if we keep our eyes fixed on him, if we do what he's called us to do, we will not get burnt. We'll get singed. Might come out there smelling of smoke. But he is with us. He says, fear not, for I am with you. When you walk through the fires, when you walk through the floods, and many of us are doing that, and they hard things. And as a pastor, um, you know, Deborah and I know a lot of these things, and, and I've got to be careful that I don't make those burdens my burdens. I've got to re- re- uh, present these re- requests to God and pray for them and know that God has a plan and a purpose. He says, when we do this, and then you will call on the Lord, and the Lord will answer you. You will cry for help, and he will say, here I am. If we do those things, do away with the yoke of oppression, pointing fingers, malicious talk, and so on. And then he says, uh, yeah, and carrying on from that, I'm just going to... Uh, move on a little bit from that. But you get the gist of that. You see, 
serving others was a great, uh, an amazing theme of Paul's ministry. We're going to look a little bit of that. And you see, as we go about the king's business, he goes about ours. And we go about the king's business by serving, serving him, serving each other, serving our nation, and that be, could, through, could be prayer uh, or any of the things that God tells us to do. But he says this in Scripture, many times talking about good deeds and so on. And he says this in Galatians 6, 9 and 10. He said, let us not become weary of doing good. How many of you, I get weary of doing good. God, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. And uh, maybe I'm not getting any encouragement in all of that. And we can get worthy for at, the, for at the proper time he goes on, he says, we will reap our harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Colossians three, twenty-three to 25, he says this, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. I want to do a preach on, on guarding your heart, the wellspring of life. And, and um, we'll see that God does not like half-heartedness. And as, work, uh, and, um, as working for the Lord and not for man, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. When we serve here, this is not my church or the elders' church, or uh, it's his church. And by serving others, isn't it amazing that Christ sees it as us serving him? And it goes on to that, anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrong, for God does not, uh, there's no favoritism. We go on from that, and I was thinking about this and the good deeds and I want to finish with this in Acts 20. It, it, it seems like it's all over the show, but if you go through this again and fill in the dots to, uh, for yourselves, you'll see that there's a thread in this whole thing. Because I was reading Acts 20. It's an amazing chapter like every chapter, but it's a, the account of Paul's farewell, saying farewell to the Ephesian elders. And as a leader like Paul was with elders, I've often read this. And he says, these men, these elders were um, Paul's dearest friends. Many had come to faith to Christ through his ministry. Friends who were now elders in the church in Ephesus that he had planted. Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. And on the way, he stops at a place called Miletus to say goodbye to his friends, believing that he would never see them again. Picking up at verse 22 to 24, it's the chapter, please read it, but for time's sake, Paul is now meeting with them, and he tells them this in his discourse with them. He says, and now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing that what will happen to me there. 
I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only to finish the race and complete the task that God has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of grace. To verse 32 and 36. He's having this conversation, and now these are his, he's nearing the end of this conversation with them. And so these are very important words. He has just said that he doesn't think he'll ever see them again. In fact, uh, he was uh, uh, imprisoned, taken to Rome, and um, a while later uh, was crucified for his faith there. It's a whole story in that, and so on. But it says here, he says there, his final words, Now I commit you to God... And the word of his grace. Commit you to God and the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance amongst those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and my needs are my compassions. I did everything I did. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of Lord Jesus Christ. And this is it. That it is more blessed to give than receive. And with that, he finishes this conversation. Those are his last words. It is more blessed to give than receive. And then uh, when he had finished speaking, let's go, he knelt down with them and prayed, and they all wept. And embraced and kissed, kissed him, for they knew he may, they may never see him again. The amazing thing that all of the things he could have said in his final words, his most important words to them, are more than likely his final words. And that was, it was more blessed to give than to receive. But just before that, and we just read it in verse 32, he had said, And I commit you to God and the word of his grace. And by doing so, in those three verses, I believe he linked the word of God's grace to the blessing of God's giving. Grace, the more we understand grace, the more we will give of ourselves because we will understand the price it cost Jesus Christ for us to be in that position. And in doing so, he linked those words Paul wrote about this in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And just a few chapters again, uh, verses again in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1 to 7. He's writing to the Corinthian church that we just spoke about, but he's bragging about the churches in Macedonia. Uh, One of them was uh, Philippi, um, Thessalonica, and Colossae, those churches. They were very poor churches for some reason. I quite do not know why. But this is what he's writing to them uh, in in Corinth. And he says, I want, and now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that was given to the Macedonian churches. Out of most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testified that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability 
entirely on their own. Nobody made them give it. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So I urge Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning also to, uh, to bring also to completion this act of grace in your behalf. He is using this example, um, and he's speaking to the Corinthian church there. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in love for us, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. And that's the kind of thing, the theme that he had with the Ephesian elders. Talked about God's grace, and then he talked about it's more blessed to give than receive. You see, what motivated these poor Macedonian churches to do this, I believe, was simply an ongoing revelation of the grace of God towards themselves. They were so grateful that he had saved them. They're so grateful for what he had done for them and given to them. And this revelation of grace needs to grow in our hearts and lives. You see, grace is not a license to sin. Grace is access to the throne room of God. When you speak to many people about grace, it's always some of them, not everybody, but some of them will, will want to ask me how far can they go before they fall off the edge. Where's that edge? Where, you know, am I like this? God's grace. But God's grace is how close can I go to God himself? It's the exact opposite. And that revelation will change our hearts. You see, God has paid for your sin, past, present, and future. And yes, there's consequences for sin. But you are saved by grace through faith, not by works, so that no man can boast. And we are sinners saved by grace. And the more we understand that mercy and grace that we can get from God in the very throne room daily, it makes us more grateful, should make us more grateful for what he's done for us. They understood his saving grace. They also understood his sustaining grace. Paul writing to the Philippians in Philippians 1, 6, one of these Macedonian churches, he said, that he who began a good work within you will carry it out to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. They relied on God to get them through and on his grace. And finally, they had an incredible revelation of God's provisional grace, how God supplies all our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. He does not supply our wants necessarily, but he definitely will supply our our needs. But that is for us who seek first his kingdom and are also generous and willing to share. The context of that, you can see that in the film. It was about the offering they had made for him. 
And I want you to understand, and all of us, for myself, we can never, ever outgive God. He will be nobody's debtor. And God just didn't give us money and stuff. The grace of God gave us his only son. You see, the goal of our faith is not more stuff. Peter says this in 1 Peter 1. The goal of our faith is the salvation of our souls. We are blessed because our lands are written in the land's book of life. Because like everybody else, we might have troubles and going through Deborah's trials and and some of the things that we had to go to. I would sit with people in ICUs, emergencies, in hospitals for four or five years. We were in and out of those. Next to people who did not have God but had the same problems. And it was quite overwhelming. We, I was afraid, scared, all of those things. But it would give me an opportunity. And all I would have to say to them, man, I don't know how you do this on your own. He said, well, then something, well, how do you do it? I said, man, I've got God on my side. He's with me, he's with me. And can I pray for you and all of this? And God, things will open. You begin to realize Just take yourself, us, in all the things we are going through and take God out of the equation. Nobody to pray for, no churches to be encouraged by, uh, nobody to pray for you, no God to go to. That's the world out there. Is there any wonder that there's massive addiction in the world? I'm sure I would be one of them. If I had no hope. But we have Christ in us. The hope of glory. And we should start focusing on that. And his mercy and his grace. And not looking at what we don't have. Or what has gone wrong. But what we do have. And what is going right. And giving it to God. Presenting them to God. And then allowing the peace of God. To come upon us. So it transcends our understanding. You see, a lot of the times in my, I, I've, I, I do this too. I'm in such a rush. I give God a whole laundry list of stuff I need or people need. God, I need this and that. And can you heal this? And can you do that? And yes, thank you, God, and all of that. And then I run out the door. It's like a kid coming running out the door to school and they're telling I need more food I need this I need some socks I need all of this and cheers yes okay can you just at least say hello to me hey dad I love you I care for you at least something like that that's the laundry list but when he says he says uh, present your uh, request and then allow the peace of God so we give those requests to God And then we wait in his presence until that peace comes. And we have this two-way relationship with him. He's a father. He loves you no matter what you've done or where you've been. I don't care what my, I do care what my children do, but I've told every single one of them, I don't care where you are in the world. If you get into trouble, I will get there within 24 to 36 hours. Via visa and an aeroplane. I will find you. How much more God? He's with us. 
He's here. And I want to pray and finish this. And if we could have the worship team and just sing one more song. It's a bit all over the place. There's a few sermons in one there, but I hope you get my heart. But I want to, if you could, uh, if we could just have the keyboard play for, I know it sounds very religious having the keyboard come as a drummer, but initially, because I'm going, I'm going to ask you now to close your eyes, to bow your head. God is a God of an audience of one. He doesn't see us as a group. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows everything about you. And the craziest thing is he loves you unconditionally. Unconditional, the agape of God. He loves you. And I'm going to, for a moment, if we could just still ourselves and open our hands and give those things to God. I have stuff too. Because what I do, I give it to him, and something goes wrong, and I pick it up again. And God smiles, God, I've got to give it to you again. He's a slow to anger, gracious and compassionate. So if we can do that for your loved ones, it could be for yourself, it could be fear of, it could be a lot of fear of diseases that are going around, where the nation is. Let's just allow the Holy Spirit to come and just focus on the Father who's got such a smile on his face looking down at you and begin to feel that transcendent peace that surpasses your natural understanding. a loved one
let's do this now that we've given it to God. And may go home and just spend time in His presence until that peace fully comes upon you. But let's focus on Jesus. He, let's see Him high and lifted up above every circumstance. The one who said He would never leave us or forsake us. The King of our hearts. Let's stand and just focus on Him and sing our praises to our King of glory with all of our heart, church. Let's worship Him. And I say, Holy Spirit, just come and begin to rain down upon the people.